You're listening to the Arizona Field Podcast. Good morning, everybody. Today is the 23rd of February, and man, have we got a fun episode for you. So last week, my buddy Brent and I drove out to meet with one of the top flathead guys in Arizona, Mr. Chris Despain, who you might know under his nom de gear of Critter. Critter has multiple flatheads in the record books, and he's, overall, he's a great guy to be around and chat with. I know Brett and I both learned a ton from him, and we even caught our first flatheads on this trip. So, whether you're new to flatheads or a seasoned pro, uh, I think everybody's going to learn a thing or three from and, and really enjoy this conversation uh, that we did on the shores of a flathead destination here in Arizona. I'm not going to go into where we did, although I think Critter might have mentioned it in the episode. So just listen close and you might figure it out. So, I guess without too much pomp and circumstance, I'm going to press this button here and let you listen in on our talk with Critter to Spain. Alright, so tonight we're at the super secret spot with uh, <laughs> Mr. Critter <laughs> and Mr. Brent. Um, thank you guys for coming on today. Thank you for having us. Right? Uh, yeah, so we're out here at Critter's super secret flathead spot. We've already got a couple of fish on the bank. So uh, I guess how we want to start this out is, Kurt, uh, do you want to maybe give a little intro about yourself and maybe a little background on how you became the catfish guy? Yeah, heck. I've, um, I'm right now, I'm 53 years old. I've been fishing for flatheads since I was about eight or 10 years old. Um, at the time, I was living in Flagstaff, Arizona. And, uh, our high school principal, Homer Townsend, and my dad were buddies, and Homer was a flathead fisherman. And uh, he started taking us down to Roosevelt Lake, fishing flatheads, probably in the late 70s, early 80s. And uh, they became passionate about catching them, and that's been what I do. I just pursue these things and have refined my techniques over the last 40 years. Well, I mean, they've certainly paid off tonight. We said we. Like, what do you think, the, what, 12 pounds? Yeah. The first one? And yeah, that better one was probably 12, 15 pounds, and the smaller one was 5, 6, 7. So. Yeah, definitely not too bad. So, I guess, uh, to start out, um, well, I guess maybe we should have Brent talk since he's on here, too. What do you want me to say? <laughs> <laughs> well, Jesse's catching fish. For some reason, he thinks he gets to reel them all in. Yeah, that's what happens when you're a celebrity, let's, right? Let's decide right now who gets to reel in the next fish. <laughs> well, you were supposed to catch that last one. You're the one that missed the strike. But I couldn't tell if it was a bluegill dancing or if it really was a catfish. That's how small it was. It put 10 foot of slack in that line. I think it was a catfish. Yeah. <laughs> I want, if I was going to use up my turn on reeling one in, I wanted to make sure. It <laughs> make sure it's a big cat. <laughs> That's the trouble with this. You never know what the heck's going to eat that bait out there. I think if Critter brought us out here, he should have been in the next one. Right? <laughs> I caught well, all the bait. Oh, that 12-pounder. I was trying to get somebody else to take it. Did somebody grab that rod? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, do you mind talking about, I don't know if your rig is super secret, or do you mind talking about like, what we're doing tonight? No, it's... Um, Fish two two styles of rigs. The one we're using tonight is that three-way rig that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, it's some refinements over what the what you normally see on it. We do use a slip float on it with a bobber stop on the on what you'd call the main line, and then it comes down to that modified double barrel style three-way, and about a 12, 14-inch leader. Um, I fish a lot heavier line than most guys. I run a 200-pound Spectra on my reels, and then a 130-pound mono leader out to the hook off the three-way, and a 25-pound-ish leader down to the sinker. So if the sinker gets hung up, it breaks off. Right. Yeah. Because that's when we look at that line when we first got here. It's like that stuff is. Well, what I'm used to, what I thought it was, is almost like a like a chalk line or something like like the like guys laying brick or something. Like holy. <laughs> Oh, you could probably use it for a chalk line. A little bit of dancing going on. 
Yeah, I can still see it in the moonlight. Yeah. And we've got a little added excitement tonight with the police running around, running people off for drinking and wild partying. So. Yeah, it's been a loud night. Mm-hmm. I mean, it hasn't been from us, but everybody else. But that's Arizona fishing, right? It doesn't seem like no matter yeah. where you go, you get, especially now with the, well, I mean, I call them like the COVID campers and whatnot. <laughs> and <laughs> all kinda, the, everybody's outdoors. All the folks living in the woods. Yeah. But, yeah, back to that rig. It's, um, I run a double hook rig that you were looking at. Uh, that lower hook is just a bait hook, and the upper one's the circle hook. And stick the one hook in the bait and leave that circle hook up there with nothing to interfere but the fish's mouth when he eats it. Yeah, because so. I was looking at that. So are those similar-sized hooks, or are you running, like, a, one bigger than the other? Or? Um, typically, that lower hook is a is smaller. I, I run a 6 or 7 aught hook in my bait that's big enough it'll hold them. And then I run an 8 or a 10 aught circle hook up above it. Yeah, because those are monstrous hooks. Mm -hmm. I remember, because uh, when Brent and I were first talking about gear, you know, it was a lot of, I got turned Brent down. All I can hear is him breathing. Have <laughs> <laughs> a sip of beer. Chug a lug. All right, Brent, do something now. How's that? Maybe I should just put you on mute. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, so where were we? Yeah, talk about the rigs. Yeah, cause it was a, it's definitely a unique style. I mean, one I'd never seen before, but remember, oh, that's where I was. Uh, Brett and I talking rigs prior. Uh, you know, it was a lot of talk about, you know, using like six-aught, five-aught mm -hmm. size hooks, and then we get here with you, and you're running them yeah. monstrous, you know, shark hooks. You know, you've seen we, we caught like a five-pound fish on them. So they'll, they'll eat that size of a hook. And if we get lucky enough tonight to catch a 30 or 40 pounder, you'll see how thick the meat is around their mouth and their lower jaw. And you need that big hook to encompass that and hook them. Yeah, because that's a, it's a, it's really, a, you're good for all different sizes. Yes. With this kind of ring, and that's, which I think is, that's pretty cool. So I remember that's, I was always scared, you know, get too big of a hook, you know, you're getting rid of those catching opportunities. With them smaller, especially you know, just starting out like Brett and I are. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's good to know. I mean, it was pretty cool to see that little five pounder. I mean, he, in that circle, it did its job. You know, it was right in the corner and yep, uh, just popped right out with your fingers. Yeah, and I really like the circle hooks. I release 99% of these fish when I catch them, and those circle hooks very rarely hook them bad in the guts or the gills. It's typically that corner of the mouth hook. Yeah, and then even talking about uh, going a little further down with the bait is, uh, I was surprised, you know, we're running kind of a smaller bait, but, you know, this water system we're running, you said they're kind of <clears throat> preference to that. Yeah, in, in here, um, we seem to do better on those three to six inch baits right in here, but once we, I only caught about a dozen of those smaller baits. Yeah. Once we run out of those, we've got about 20 good baits that are big as your hand, six, eight, ten inch long baits. Yeah, those are... A lot bigger. Mm -hmm. And then, because we're running a couple different species as well, right? We're running the bluegills and then the Yeah, tilapia. here, here on, the, on the river where we're at, the tilapia is a legal bait. Um, you can't use them upstream or in the lakes around Phoenix like Pleasant, Bartlett, Roosevelt. The tilapia is not a, not a legal bait fish. Um, the, we've got carp that we catch here in the river and bluegill as well. Because even the carp, you're... You're just talking like two pounds. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We've got like six carp in there I caught with the throw net earlier. And they're about a pound and a half or two pounds, like 14, 16 inches long. Yeah. That's just, to me, that's just a monstrous bait. <laughs> but them flatheads, it just seem to, seem to love them. Oh, yeah. They, they just inhale them. Because that's something else that, I mean, so I didn't grow up with flatheads. And I, I've had a riot catching them here tonight. And this is something I want to keep doing. But, um. They're, you know, if folks come to Arizona, maybe for the first time, you know, news transplants or maybe folks just haven't gotten used to them. Whenever you think catfish, you know, your general catfish fishing, a lot of guys are running, you know, something static, a dead bait or cheese bait. And that's not going to fly with these guys. No, you know, a little bit in the winter, we catch them on cut bait sometimes if it's good, fresh cut bait. But 
they uh, they are definitely a predator. They're the apex predator in this state. They'll eat anything that swims. Yeah, cause, I mean, if you look at well, we were looking at the one that 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 uh, twelve pounder. You know, you, you were pointing out the eyes are you know the eyes mm-hmm. are going up, and those two top barbels are going up, and you know they're so you gotta have that bait up a lot higher. Cause I kept I'm so used to what we were talking about. You you call them mud cats. Um, mm-hmm. I grew up calling them uh, uh, bullheads. And I'll, I cut my teeth on bullheads and channel cats and whatnot in the, in the Northeast, and I was so used to having something on the bottom. Mm-hmm. And even with your rig, I'm not—I I know you talked about it, but just to drive it point home for folks listening is, you're running your bait a foot or more off the bottom. Yeah, that's something we didn't touch on that three-way rig. Um, I use a fairly large bobber, say uh, it's two and a half inches long. It's a large, large bobber. Um, when it hits the bobber stop, it stretches that three-way swivel tight between it and a six to eight ounce sinker. That way that sinker sinks to the bottom, the bobber floats up, and that foot-long leader, the bait's basically on a leash swimming in circles. And uh, It's about a 12-inch leader, and I run about a two to three-foot line down to the weight. So that suspends that bait off of the bottom, keeps it up out of the rocks and the bushes. And makes it look like something that flathead's gonna eat. Yeah, cause that's that's it's definitely. A, I don't know, I'm just having a ball doing this. And uh, <laughs> one other thing that I know we didn't touch on is that that double hook rig. Uh, is you're running a double snell for tying that on. Yes. Yeah. So just to point out for the folks at home, you know, it's not just you know looping it on and then because it's kind of a. Yeah, the, the hooks are tied back-to-back back as close as I can get them with that double snell. And then I tie a Palomar knot up on the three-way swivel. And I to I keep my leaders pre-tied in my box. I tie them at home. I use warm water and a little bit of soap on it so that that line slides down good and tight. And then I rinse them off. But I do them at home because when it's cold out, you really can't get that knot to cinch down good. Oh, especially you said you're running that 130-pound bottle. <laughs> that stuff doesn't tie for nothing. And- but uh, just to, again, for you know, folks listening to this, but the reason you're using that warm water, well, one is to make it a little bit easier to tie, but it's, uh, it's also reducing all that friction, so you're not yeah. getting uh, that heat ball in there that's, that's going to reduce the effectiveness of your, of your knot. Yeah, it doesn't hurt or score the line or anything like that. It lets it slide down good and tight like it should be. Yeah, because I've even been noticing every time that we we have brought one, I've been willing to brought them too, but I notice you're running your hands down that line, that, that uh, mono leader, making sure that it's not scored up. Or... Yeah, they've you felt their teeth. They've got some pretty abrasive teeth in there. Yep. And if that leader gets scored up, I just, I'll clip it off and put another one on. It's better than losing a fish. Are you using the bigger baits to increase the weight size? Um, you know, and I don't use, I hardly, well... No. I use an 8-ounce weight even with the bigger baits. I'll bite their tails off or break them where they really can't drag it and it makes them struggle a little bit. Yeah, because that's the thing I've been watching you do. Uh, oh, no, it was, that, it was an airplane going over. I can see it in, the, in, uh, in your mirror. Just threw me off. I thought somebody was walking through the woods for a second there. Um... But where was oh yeah with them smaller baits I noticed you were you were snapping the uh, the dorsal fins. Yeah, I I break them off so that we're using a couple of the rods have that single hook on them just a single circle hook, and uh, I break that dorsal fin off the back so that the spines don't interfere with the hook being able to get into the meat. Yeah, and that was you mentioned that was a species specific. Uh, yeah, bait, with bait species specific. Yeah, with the tilapia and the bluegill, I break those spikes off their back. Right, so you're not going to be doing that, you know, if you, if you get mm-hmm. a pumpkin seed or carp or something yeah, like that. Yeah, you know, on, when you're talking about spines on carp, I do break their dorsal fin off and their anal fin. If you ever look at those things, they look like a saw. And if your line wraps that dorsal fin, it'll it'll cut that line like butter. Jeez. So you got to get rid of that top top and back bottom spike on those carp. It'll, it, it'll, it's nasty. Yeah, no, that's not mm-hmm. one I would have thought of. Yeah, we'll look at one here in a little bit when we get it out of the basket. They're pretty impressive on the damage that that top spike can do. Right, yeah, I'm looking, definitely looking forward to that. I know we keep talking, I keep, uh, 
I keep thinking, I'm not sure if I'm going to hear one of these reels of a certain sizzling while I have these headphones <laughs> on. <laughs> and then, oh, I'm looking at the kayak over here too, is you're not, because of the bait, because of the, the delicate nature mm -hmm. of the bait, you're not just heaving these things out here. No, when, you know, throwing that, that eight ounce weight is primarily, I drop my bait really close to structure. And I want that bigger weight on there so that the bait doesn't swim into the structure. And uh, when you cast it, that weight hits the water so hard, it'll tear the hooks out of the bait sometimes. So I use a kayak, and I jump in it, and I can paddle my bait. I watch my depth finder. I look for the structure, changes in the bottom, and that's where I place my baits more so than just casting them blindly. Right, because today we were talking, I don't want to get too specific, um for what you were looking at but you know as far as like depths and all that but today you were you're kind of noting that it was kind of where two depth lines kind of graded into each other yeah we've we we're hitting these fish they're on the deep side of a drop-off there's about a four foot ledge on the bottom it's it's pretty flat eight to ten feet deep and then it steps up to about four feet deep and sometimes we catch fish up on the top of that and tonight we're catching them on the deep deep side of it so we put our baits along the the bottom side of that drop off and then so th and this is i'm not sure if the tactics change but this is kind of what you're doing for these winter cats are you going to change your tactics at all once we get closer into the spawn once the water starts warming up a bit um in in the in the river not so much because there's nowhere for the fish to go you know we're fishing the deeper part of this particular pond we're in but fish in the lake, Bartlett, Pleasant, uh, Roosevelt. In the wintertime, we catch these fish 30 to 65, 70 feet of water. And as it warms up, we start moving up. Um, generally speaking, where you're catching the crappie and the carp is where you're going to catch the flatheads. And that, is that because that's what they're feeding on yep. is the crappies and the carp? Exactly. I think that's their primary bait. Their primary fish they eat are those pan fish, the bluegill, the crappie, and the carp. And if those fish are really deep, that's where the flatheads are going to be. And in the spring, when those fish are up shallow spawning, those flatheads are, they just like bass follow shad, the flatheads follow the pan fish and the carp. Oh, that's pretty cool. I never even thought about that they were corresponding with the, I mean, it, it makes sense. I mean, coming from a wildlife standpoint, it makes sense that they're following mm -hmm. the bait and they're following their prey. I mean, no no food no fish but. Yeah, and we fish for them in the winter time once personally once the water gets down there like 52 53 degrees or lower i just i will i'll stop fishing for them they just seem to become lethargic yeah. but if it's over 50 if it's 55 and up uh, we tend to catch a lot of good fish yeah because today it was 62 if you remember what you were saying that the water temp yeah was at. yep the water was at 62 degrees and um in the river so that's the depth from top to bottom in a river with the moving water and these fish are they're they're very active hopefully they kick off a little better um they always hear the you know it's always better in the past but last week we caught nine fish before midnight yeah now we've, we've got two i mean we've had it we're kind of what two for two for five tonight? yeah we've had three other runs that we missed because I'm here. <laughs> Brent's our jinx. Yeah. No, I've been flathead fishing. I've really wanted to get into these guys for a long time. And I've tried on multiple occasions, and maybe I wasn't doing it right or I was in the wrong spot, but never had luck until tonight. So this is good. It's a start. Yeah. my best catfish night so far. Right. Cause I mean, in addition to, well, I know you've mentioned it, but we're having a ton of fun, but I know Brent and I are learning that. Tongue yeah. tonight. So we went a year ago at uh, Roosevelt, and um, I don't. I think we might have to fight. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure that was a channel cat. <laughs> Just the way it was throwing its head. And yeah, Rosie can be a stickler. Yeah, but we were there. You know, we were talking to. We had other fishermen around us, and it sounded like it was kind of like, yeah, you should have been here last week. Yeah, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Because there was a boat down for us, we were yelling back and forth. But when Brent and I were motoring by, um, this other couple, they not that Brent and I are a couple, I'm not trying to say that, uh, this this guy and gal were, <laughs> were, were set up on shore and uh, they yelled over to us. They caught a, did they say it was like a 30 or 40 pounder? Yeah, I think Dang. So. Yeah. yeah. 
and that was like the last good fish we heard about and then uh yeah we had that one like kind of throw his head and it kind of he kind of felt like that 12 pounder we caught tonight you know kind of threw his head mm -hmm. around and then it was kind of a bump bump and he was gone kind yeah. of thing we needed that kayak with us because i remember half our bait didn't well we didn't it. have a good air reader either we didn't have <laughs> very much bait to begin with and then well, um, we didn't have very much bait got... to begin with, but we had too much bait for the aerator system we were running. Mm -hmm. Well, the aerator got sucked up some mulch or something. Yeah, we weren't putting nearly enough and, oxygen in that tank. And it got clogged, and so we lost half our bait. And then, you know, we didn't have the kayak with us to go place our baits strategically, so we're flinging them out there, and about 50% of the time they would just fly off. So, <laughs> question for you, Critter, is... What do those of us without the luxury of the yak do? Do we throw smaller baits or maybe not try and um, get it out there as far? You know, when in the daylight I casted one here, what would you say, 30 yards? Yeah. That one we chucked 30, out there. 35, yeah. Um, that was a nice, easy lob, not really a power cast on it. And the, the only disadvantage to that is when we paddle them with the kayak and drop them, you know that that bait's on your hook. Um, when you cast them, sometimes they hit the water and it kills them. Um, sometimes it rips the hooks out of them. But once they settle on the bottom and you snug that line up, really watch your line and make sure that bait is on there wiggling it and alive. And um, just get really good at casting. Do a nice underhanded lob, so to say. And uh, you can chuck baits pretty far. And with that hair rig that I run, you can hook them really deep in the tail without killing them. And that'll help hold them on that hook when they do hit the water. As far as rods go, uh, just thinking about, because last year I was running a couple of, uh, well, they were catfish rods. They were like Eastern style cat, but they were using mm -hmm. the spinning reel. Do you, I mean, obviously I'm looking at your rods tonight, you're running all bait casters. Is there any qualms against somebody trying to sp a bait, uh, a spinner reel for the first time? Oh, no. I've, I've got a couple at home there, the bait runners. Um, I just don't really like them because the drags are so quiet on them that you can't hear them. On a level wind, they've got really good loud clickers. Um, I run these, we're running them in free spool with the clicker engaged. So you can kick back, you listen for that clicker to run, um, and just those open face reels just don't have a loud enough clicker on them for me. Other than that, they'll, they'll work great. My heart skipped a beat a couple times tonight when a bat ran into the line. And I just jumped out of my chair thinking I had a catfish on, but it was just this bat kept running into the line thinking it was a bug or something. He did it like six times. I think it was the same one or six different ones. I don't know, but, you know, I'd look up and he'd come over, you know, going left to right. And he'd also, he'd, like, double, he'd kind of double back on himself and you'd watch the end of your right go, tong. But then they wised <laughs> up and they haven't done it since. Yeah. Maybe they can't see that 80-pound line. My 200 is like a rope hanging out there. They dodge it. Yeah, I thought I was prepared with my 80-pound line. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because that was the other thing I wanted to bring up is um, you're talking about that 200. Because you aren't playing these fish. I mean, because there's so much brush and, and stuff. Yeah, water, right? you've, you've seen how, we, how we're dropping these baits and stuff right in the, in the down timber. Um, that's why I run the heavy gear. When you hook... A 60 or 70 pound fish and it heads for that brush you've got to be able to turn it pinch that reel with your thumbs and stop that fish from getting into that tree on you a 70 pound fish yeah that's what we're looking for in here tonight no kidding. <laughs> so you got to be able to horse them basically and it's uh you know i've learned trial and error i've had fish break 80 pound test i've had them break 130 pound test and with this 200 um I've had a few get in the trees on me, and we will, we'll just we'll tie the line off to the tree and then come back in the morning and jump in the water and swim down and get them. <laughs> or screw with the tree long enough, you can pull the tree out of the bottom of the lake, and that fish, if he hasn't straightened out the hooks and got off, he is on there. I've not had a fish just break this 200-pound line. Yeah, that's, that's some heavy line. Because you were saying run, like, run line twice as heavy for the fish you're looking for. Yeah. Growing up, I was always taught that 
you should use twice as heavy a line as the biggest fish you intend on catching. So when we pitch baits for bass in the brush and stuff, we run 17 and 20 pound test. So it makes sense on these flatheads. If there's a 100 pounder swimming this river, I want to run 200 pound test. Because we were talking, you know, I was, uh, we should have hit record like when the day, when the light was still up. Because you were, <laughs> were ta- telling us all these really funny and really cool anecdotes. And, uh, stuff I wish I had on, on record, but it just seemed fake at this point. But uh, where are you going? I'm just checking the lines. Uh oh. Yeah, I'm gonna take this one muff off of that one ear, so at least I can hear off of that side. Yeah, that's what I got. Yeah. No, I'm so used to doing these and having both my ears so covered. What is the, the state record these days? Um, Eddie Coxon has the state record right now, and I think he's up there around 76 pounds. It's 75 and change or 76 and change. I think it's 76 and change. Yeah, we we had. When I was living in Pine in the late 90s, we caught, we had the state record. We beat our own record in the same summer. Um, forever, it was a 64-pound flathead out of San Carlos Reservoir. And in that summer, I think it was 1998, we caught a 71-pounder and had it going in the books. And then a couple weeks later, we caught a 72-pounder. And that was the standing record for several years. And I'm not sure if Eddie beat that. Or if another, like a 73-pounder, might have come out of San Carlos Reservoir again. So and that's were, the one Eddie beat. Those were all from San Carlos? Um, the two we caught, our 71 and 2, were out of Roosevelt. So there's some big fish swimming around in, you know, mm-hmm. in Rosie. Because uh, it seems like Rosie and Bartlett are the two that everybody, you know, when you, when you talk flyheads, those mm-hmm. are always the two main that get brought up in conversation. Yeah, that's the ones that are that are big on the hit list. Um we caught, I caught my first one over 50 pounds last summer out of Lake Pleasant. I've caught 50s out of, 50, I've caught a, over 60 pound fish out of Roosevelt, Bartlett, Apache, and then uh, I hadn't caught one over 50 out of Lake Pleasant until last summer. I shouldn't say I, but my wife caught one that was 51 pounds. So, I didn't think of you getting that big there. That's really cool. Yeah, there's some really good fish in Lake Pleasant. Never thought of um, like Saguaro Canyon Apache as good catfish lakes, but I wouldn't be one to know. Yeah, Canyon Canyon's coming into its own. It's got a lot of flatheads. Um, we're catching some decent fish, thirty pounders. And Saguaro, it kind of got mucked out a few years ago with that golden algae. Yeah, it really put a damper on the fish in there. So one thing that's going through my head because all of a sudden I'm not sure if, if it's a brain fart or what, but are flatheads native to Arizona? No, they're a non-indigenous species in Arizona. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, it seems like in talking to Game and Fish, pretty much any fish in Arizona that has spines on it, like bluegill, bass, um, catfish, carp, they're all non-indigenous fishes. Apparently back you know, 150 years ago, all the fish in Arizona, all the native fish were soft. Like a trout doesn't have spikes on it. Right, like Sonoran uh, suckers. The Sonoran suckers, they don't have spikes on them. So there weren't any spiky fish is a kind of an easy in, indicia of what the non-native fishes are. It's funny because everything else here is spiky. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. There's plenty of cactus and stuff to stab you around here. Right. But yeah, they're they're non-indigenous. Um, I'm not sure exactly when they came into the state, but I know in the 50s they were catching them in in San Carlos and Roosevelt Lake. So they were transplanted here from back east, I believe. But all the way back in the 50s, though, like so they've been here for a long time. At yeah, least, you know, it's, it's, I mean, I kind of figure always, I always kind of figure the 50s is kind of when Arizona kind of you know kind of came into its own, mm-hmm. you know, as a state and. Arizona wasn't even a state until what, like 1912 or something? 19 Valentine's Day, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure what year it was. I know we just hit. I should just do the math. And we hit. It was just a couple of days ago. It was Valentine's Day. And we hit 109 years old. Yeah, I think it is 1912 is our statehood. So. Yeah, but then with the 50s, with the advent of air conditioning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think these fish are indigenous in the Mississippi River system. Yep. And that's where they've kind of come out of and been transplanted and people move them around. And 
Right, because I mean, especially back in the day, I mean, even the even that's how the, the government agents were doing it was all pretty much what we call bucket stocking mm-hmm. nowadays. But uh, uh, thinking of game and fish, though, as we were talking earlier, and I don't remember what the answer was, but uh, didn't you say that game and fish had shocked, a, like what would be the new state record? Yeah, they um, electroshocked. I should say they they electroshocked a fish out of the Lower Colorado River. Um, it's th- maybe three or four years ago that was over 90 pounds. Um, they had photographs. It was in Arizona Wildlife Views. They did a little documentary on it, and it was it was shocked, weighed, and released. The Colorado River is a separate uh, record book system. There's inland waters, and there's the Colorado River system. So they separate those in, in Arizona for some reason. It seems more like something Alaska would do. Yeah. More so than Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was down there by Yuma that they that they shocked that one up. And uh, they've got good statistics out there. In uh, you can look them up. They're public information. They've got all their shocking results available online. You can look at Bartlett Lake when they've shocked it there. Um, they've got a real good tagging program going at Lake Pleasant. If you ever catch a flathead with a WMR or a blue tag in its dorsal fin. Um, you call the Mesa office is where the biologist works out of that runs that program. Have you caught any of the tag fish? Yes, I've caught I'm four of the I've caught four of the game and fish tagged fish, and I've recaught some fish. Um, there's a particular club here, the ACCA. It's the Arizona Catfish Conservation Association. Um, I was a member of that group, and they were joint partnered with Game and Fish on a tagging permit. Um, I got crossways with a member in that group. Uh, he disagreed with me flaying and eating what he called trophy flatheads. So I would, you know, what is it? In the grease is where you release or whatever that is. But uh, <laughs> I got booted out of the tagging program with that particular group. And uh, while but, I was there, I tagged over 100 flatheads. That's a lot of fish. And then... With that, with this tagging for, is there an incentive to call it in, or is it just kind of a... You just no, there's no incentive. You catch it. Um, it's just the the ones the ACCA tagged were through www.fishtagger.com. And uh, you can go online and check. And you can even go onto that website and look at who's tagged what fish and how many times they've been recaught, and you post photographs of them. And there's no incentive to release them. Hopefully you do. You know, you catch a tagged fish. Maybe in the back of your mind you want to turn it loose and track that fish. But if you ever do catch one, you call and report the weight and the length, and they update the tag in the computer system. So it's kind of neat. But you can keep them and flay them just the same. It's Right, so it's, it's no different, um, in case folks are just kind of wondering, it's no different than the, like the banding system in waterfowl. Correct. You find it, you just, hopefully you report it. Yep. And then they can look at that fish and see how much it's grown and, you know, where it moved to if you're not, if you're able to disclose that location. And Right. Yeah, because I do want to make one thing clear is, you know, folks that, you know, with birders and bird watchers, uh, sometimes they'll even find birds with bands on them, but they're still alive. You know, and then, especially mm-hmm. if they're a double band, uh, you know, they'll have, the, they'll have the, the two tarsal bands and one would be the plastic. Uh, <sighs> make brightly colored and then you can backtrace that. And then the, they can get a lot of information just from that band. Oh yeah. I've called those in before with uh, with turns. Um, I've got and then you know I'm not sure if if uh, ACCA or Game of Fish does it, but when uh, you get one with a banded bird, you know they send you like a kind of an appreciation certificate and it tells you, you know when was that bird banded and and uh, where it was banded and who and who was the one that put the band on. And so it was kind of cool. Like I was, I've been able to do it with, with gulls and terns and cormorants oh, yeah. and, and stuff like that throughout the years. Yeah, with with the game and fish bands, when you call your band in, um, that biologist will take the information. And I received emails back on all of the banded fish I caught from game and fish, and the ones I've recaught through with the W with the fish taggers in them. Um, you go online and it's right there. Yeah, that's really good. Just kind of showing that you know, it's it's when you're when you do send one of these big behemoths back. I mean, 
it is you know somebody else can catch mm-hmm. it. You know, even you <laughs> can recatch. On that note, do they move around a lot, or do are they caught in the same areas? No, here the tagging programs are on the impoundments. So I recaught one at Pleasant that was just over 50 pounds, and I caught it in the Awafria arm of the Lake Pleasant, and it was captured the initial time in the Awafria arm of Lake Pleasant. So it's hard to say how far it moved because it's in the lake. Um, River systems, I don't know how far they move in the Colorado River. They could go for miles, you know, Yuma to what, Parker? Right. Just one thing I want to add. I was just, um, uh, who was it on? I think it was a documentary I saw on Amazon Prime on their streaming site. But it wasn't related to flatheads. It was related to trout. It was a New York, like a Catskill <laughs> trout fishery documentary. Um, I wish I could remember the name of the documentary. Because it was really cool, especially, you know, I mean, that's kind of, you know, that's where I cut my teeth on fishing. And But they did one where they caught a, I think it was a brown trout. And there was this, it's, it's, oh, I feel awful because I didn't remember the name of the river system. But they had, they'd done the same thing. They had caught and, and tagged this brown trout in this one arm of the river. Is it the Delaware? Is uh, that where the Catskills flow into? So the Delaware is down there. Wow. It was the, maybe it was the Delaware. But either yeah. way, you know, it was, it was caught just up, like the East Fork, we'll say. And then the last next time it was caught or, or detected, I'm not sure if they, I can't remember if they had a, I think they might have had like a reader. Tracker on it. Uh, yeah, like a tracker, like in, but they have like in the river itself and whenever fish swims close enough by, you know, it picks oh, up the okay. data. And, uh, but it was in the other arm, like 20 miles away. Ah, maybe. So this fish had backtracked, <laughs> you know, gone upstream, you know, four or five miles, made the hook, and he was multiple miles downstream on, you know, different river system effectively wow. yeah i mean so I'm wow. assuming that's a little trout you know which you kind of figure is you know it's kind of a home bodies <sighs> maybe a flathead ate him and was swimming right <laughs> oh, 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 there, hey, there goes one. oh brent's what critter you were up next brent's got one just smacked his rod uh, it could have been the bat again oh i doubt it that was a big ass bat that was <laughs> well, what do i do i don't think it no, well, he just hit it, huh? Hit you, and spit. Yeah, you got enough cord. You could. You don't have to take your headset off if you want to try and okay. just test it out. Yeah, just watch that bobber and watch that bobber and see if he eats it. <laughs> that was a pretty savage rap. Yeah, it was. Dang. Yeah, we've had. That's the third. What I would call a short strike. They're hitting these lures and they're only, they're hitting them and swimming about, like they're striking them and then dropping the bait. Yeah, but I haven't seen a bat in two hours. Thinking of that, is this, yeah, that one, that line's still straight. Because that's the one that's been, they've been swimming back at it yeah. a lot. You think it could have ripped my bluegill right off of it? He may have. It's, Reel it down tight. We'll check it here in a little bit if nothing hits it in a few minutes. That was a pretty savage strike, though. Yeah, that was a full-on bang when that one hit. So, also from the data from the fish tagging, you're able to see how much they grow. How much, how quickly are these fish growing? How, how um, holds a 70-pound fish or a 50-pound fish? You know, from what I've read and understand on them, um, they don't live much beyond 20 years. And with these biologists and stuff, you look it up, you can Google anything these days. Uh, they do the pectoral cuts, and they say they're accurate to within like three to five years. And they've not recorded a flathead much over 20 years old. So they grow, you know, according to food, environment, the temperature. The better the food, the better the water, the bigger they get. And um, some of the impoundments they've put them in, like these private lakes where they stock them and they know how many they put in, when they put them in. Right, mostly the ones over like Texas way. Yeah. Kinda. Yep. Um, you read on those places and, and they'll grow like up to five to seven pounds a year depending on their feed. So, a, you know, a, a 50 pound fish could be five, six, seven years old 
And then on the other side, if he's colder water, not as good of food, he might be a 20-year-old fish that grew two and a half pounds a year, and now he's 50. Right. So we're kind of talking about this. We didn't go into much detail earlier, but like you're comparing like you know fish in Arizona versus that same age class in like Iowa. Yeah, and that's that's part of that stuff you read about. In the colder water, they grow slower. They don't get as big because they they don't have the opportunity to live long enough to get bigger and they're you know dormant or lethargic more longer periods of time in the year so they're not actively feeding and growing and getting bigger Iowa's the same way a lot of my wife's family's out of Iowa and they uh, they don't catch as many big fish in Iowa as we do here in Arizona right yeah just because like you were saying that they don't they don't get that growing season they can't they mm-hmm. can't take advantage of you know versus you know here in Arizona. Cause, I mean, it's it's well, it's Arizona. We're famous for having year long. It's pretty much you know three sixty five oh, yeah. summer. Yep, we here. we catch these fish all year long. You know they're they're here and they're feeding and they're active all year. Right, it's kind of similar because um, well, I know you two. I do a little bit, but you guys are really into bass fishing as mm-hmm. well. Because uh, that's like it was a Roosevelt has like Florida strain largemouth in it. Is that what it was here in there? Yeah, I saw Game and Fish released them in there. Was it last year? They released like half a million fingerlings in there two years ago. I think it was a couple of years ago now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so hopefully they get in there and get those bass more aggressive and start eating those, the gizzard shad or really running those lakes hard. Speaking of, do you ever use them for bait? Yes, if I can catch them, a gizzard shad's really good bait. They're a lot tougher than the than the typical small shad, they'll they uh, they work really well. They're they're a good resi- resilient fish to use for bait. How do you catch them? Throw net. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we get up in that really shallow water in the summer and catch them with a throw net. Um, at no. night, you can shine a flashlight on the water, and it, you're putting along with your electric motor, and you run that light. You'll see those gizzard shad start. It's like the light herds them. And they'll run into the brush and start jumping, and we throw a throw net at them, and we do pretty well catching them that way. Is it the same thing there, like the bigger the better? Yeah, I'll use those gizzard shad. They get 12, 14 inches long, and we'll use them that big for bait. Do they require any modifications? Um, no, they're a pretty slimy, pokey-free fish. We just job a hook through them and chuck them back out there. Nice. So... And then the fly is like that. Like if you, you know, if you had your pick of the litter, you know, like you had your, you can get your ideal bait today. Like what? What's your favorite to throw? Or Prob- do you have one? A twelve to sixteen inch carp. And there's also carp in these river systems. We catch them with the throw nets called carusions. They're like a wild goldfish. Okay. And uh, those big carusion carp or the barbed carp are really good bait in that like poundish. Pound, pound and a half area are probably my favorites. And then there was that one, uh, you tossed it back earlier, but what was that fish you caught? Oh, damn. We caught a, uh, they're algae eaters in the aquariums, a Placostomus. We caught one of those about a foot and a half long. Yeah, so they're the ones, I mean, that one was a lot bigger than you'd see in a you know, fish store. Yeah. You know, a pet store, but they're the same ones you see like stuck to the walls in a fish tank. Yeah, they're, like, they're a couple inches long. The algae eaters. And they've got a hell of a mouthful of teeth, too. <laughs> I don't know I'd want to stick my finger in there. Right. Yeah, for eating algae, they got some pretty good chompers on them, even though it's, out, even though it's on the underside of their, of their body. Yeah, and they they feel like they're, uh, they're definitely a prehistoric kind of, they're like armor-coated on the outside. Do you happen to know where they're from? I, I know nothing about those things. They look almost like, like uh, I think they're South American. That's just what I was thinking was they look like something you'd like to see that, uh, is it Wade? The guy, the river monsters. Oh, Jeremy Wade. Jeremy Wade, yeah. It looks like something like Mm -hmm. he caught down in like South America. You know, they get in these rivers around Phoenix, um, the Verde River, Salt River, the Colorado River. I think people bring them out here and turn them loose out of their aquariums. Yeah. A lot of that happened here. We got wild horses, wild donkeys, Mm -hmm. wild fish. Yeah, feral. Feral fish. Feral, <laughs> feral horses, feral donkeys. Yeah, they're uh, pretty nuts. Yep. But 
those little placostomus are kind of a crazy fish yeah like that was the so i you know i'd seen them in fish tanks and whatnot but that one you had today was the first time i'd ever you know had one in my mm -hmm. hand and i wasn't really expecting that you know big armor coated sidewall yeah they're uh they're pretty neat if i had a fish tank i'd damn sure have a couple of those in there because they're kind of cool yeah yeah i definitely would as well i have no idea how big they get i've caught them I've, we caught one in here a couple of years ago that was probably, no, oh, 18, 20 inches long. Yeah, that's a, for one of them, that's, that's a big fish. Yeah, and they're just neat. They play hell on your throw net, too. Oh, I bet all them spines and that rope. Yeah, oh, man, they get tangled up in your throw net. You just as well burn it. Brent's using up all the audio space. Haul it in. Yeah, we'll have to get the old kayak running here and tote it over there again. Then you can chuck it back over there, huh? <laughs> It'd be a shame to sit here all night. Empty hook hanging. Right. Well, they always say, as long as you have a hook in the water, but it really helps to have something on it. Yeah, that bait is definitely a bonus, huh? Oof, that light's bright. Yeah, hopefully these dudes pick up a little bit. Yeah. Ooh, that's that cool. That was cool. Shooting star. So this is a little different doing your business out here in the woods, huh? <laughs> you got you got cleaned off. Yeah, well he hit it hard. Damn it. I just been sitting here for the last Yeah, ten ten, fifteen minutes, yeah. I don't know if we. Like, I, I threw a couple empty. in there, right? Oh yeah. Oh, there are a couple. Sweet. Yeah. Hey, how about this one? Oh yeah, that's a good one, huh? Yeah. I can see somebody at home thinking this is pretty morbid. Good little bluegill. <laughs> All right. Um, did you want to bite the the fin off for me? I don't. Ah, hell, he'll be all right. Okay, not big we enough. We got, nah, he's not really big enough that they'll screw with us. You gonna, you gonna risk casting him out there, or are you gonna? Well, I'll just lob it out a short ways until we get a break. And then yeah. That shelf's out there about 20, about 15 yards. You can do it. I believe in you. Is where that we're gonna watch him backlashes. Just please don't catch the headset. <laughs> oh look, he's pitching it like a bass fisherman. Beautiful. I think I saw your fish go the other way. wasn't a bad shot though. No, that was just like flipping a jig. You can tell who the bass fisherman in this crew is. Right. Throws those lures up under the trees and stuff. Yeah, old dead eye. What did I hear rattling? Oh, he's got oh. That other, oh that his other, bobber. Yeah, his indicator. You're not going to put it on there? Well, I can't reach it all my leash. Yeah, just put it between a couple of the eyes and it'll, you can see it jump up and down probably. It's a good indicator if they drop slack, you can see that thing jump. I imagine all the police went home, we can probably turn our big light back on. Right. Yeah, I haven't heard anybody in a while. No. Yeah, they quieted down. They set off a few, set off some fireworks and shot a few times and the police came out and everybody went home. <laughs> Except for the crazy guys catfishing. Yeah. But we're not blowing stuff up and shooting holes and things, so they don't really care that we're here. No, as long as you don't put a hole in that yak, we're good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Because you got that kayak is pretty well set. You got a little fish finder in there. And yeah. And, you know, I'm not a little dude. I weigh like 240, 250 pounds. Um, but that kayak, it's the Ascend H10. So it's a little bit wider. Uh, it's a modif modif hybrid, hybrid kayak. And uh, I sit in it comfortable. It's a 10-foot boat. Um, I've got a little, uh, it's a Hummingbird HD5. I forget which model, but I've got a good little depth finder in it, and uh, it's comfortable and easy to fish out of, and works great for paddling these baits in. Yeah, no, because I know from last year, you know, Brent and I were, you know, we were heaving them out there. Like Brent said, we were losing about half of the ones he'd tell us, but it's been pretty awesome. Um, well, we haven't done a damn thing. I've been watching you do it the whole time. Yeah. So. <laughs> but uh, it's been pretty awesome being able to be that precise on where you put your bait. And, yeah, I mean, we it's can. It's paid off, and we got two to the shore. We can paddle them right where we want them to go, and yeah, and you uh, gotta worry about your side or. Nah, it works great. Yeah, especially you know because we're you know we're fishing for the bank. We don't have especially with these big weights. We don't have that much room to be. No. You know, heaving out weights. And yeah, I'm. We could throw them to that tree line over there. Uh, we, but then you do you get that backlash going and it's like oh oh that's the last thing you need in the dark is a bird's nest mm-hmm just put the rod away yep yep after you've done enough time it's time to go home yep that's your that's your indicator for when it's time to go home. Oh, i got this, this many bird's nests we're done i've had one too many beers <laughs> now my fishing rods look like phyllis diller hairdos <laughs> Oh, I wonder how many folks are actually going to get that reference. <laughs> or the backcountry reference. Yeah. 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 Uh, dang, it's just... It's cold. Is, what it is. is it getting chilly? Ah, hell. Uh, you Phoenicians. <laughs> As I'm sitting here wearing a puffy jacket over top of my sweatshirt. I've got my uninsulated Carhartt on. And my holy jeans. <laughs> my mind, catfish season started, I don't know, maybe April? July. Yeah, when it's hot. Right, and we're not even out of February yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do good on these in the winter, so they do they do bite all winter long for us. I was, you know, so we were, I was trying to figure out, like, hey, who do we want to have on for podcasts? And I, and I really wanted to get somebody on for flyheads, and I was talking to Brent, and he's like, hey, Critter. <laughs> And I was like, oh, yeah, I can get a hold of Critter. You know, he's probably not fishing yet. You know, maybe we can work something out for fish. He's like, oh, and then you sent me a text. You caught, like, six that night. Yeah, we did good. Yeah, and I was like, huh. But we might is, have to put this together sooner than I thought. This is really good timing, though, because this allows us to get set up, get our own gear now that we know what to get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We can still get out while the fishing's good. Yeah, my favorite part right now is everybody's got stuff in stock. Remember, we went out last year, and I keep we talk, keep we keep referencing this one time we went out last year. Mm -hmm. But before we went out, we we're on the phone back and forth like every day trying to figure out, hey, we need this line, hey, we need these hooks, and you know, hey, if you get to a store, you know, hey, if you if you can get a couple hooks, get a hold for me too, because I can't find them. And it was we couldn't find you couldn't find any line test over like 30 pound. Uh, you couldn't find a hook you know, that wasn't designed for a <laughs> yep. bass. You know, and everything you found was like, you know, thin wire. Um, you know. And it was the weights, too. They were oh, you couldn't find out. weights anywhere. If if you go into uh, Phoenix Fishing Supply there at 16th Street, just south of Camelback in Phoenix. Yep. Uh, Teddy in there. Teddy Wong is one of the guys that runs it. Teddy, Teddy and Gowdy. Um, they have lead in stock. They have four to four to eight ounce bank sinkers is what we're using. And... Uh, they have the hooks. They have the line on bulk spools. They'll fill a reel for you. They sell the reels. Um, two of the rods I have are custom built by Teddy. Um, they're MHX blanks, and uh, he built those for me. They're they're phenomenal. You'll hear guys argue about rods. You know what's the best one? What's this? What's that? Um, cat fishermen are cheap. They sit. <laughs> Brent and I are bass fishermen. We know what good rods cost. Um, They'll argue about what's the best rod, and they're talking about $30, $40, $50 rods. Um, these rods we're fishing with tonight here, uh, Penn Power Sticks, the cheap one, it's a $150 rod. The other three are Pacific Sticks. P 
Pacific sticks. Um, they're custom wrapped eyes on them. They're, you know, they're pricey, but they're good equipment. They're not going to break. So that brings me to a good point. I did want to ask is so for somebody that's looking to get into this, you know, it's maybe listening to the podcast, and hopefully they listen to the podcast. But you know, they want to say, "Hey, I want to get out and chase flats." But you know, I don't have mm-hmm. know, those ro- those rods a little bit out of my price range. You know what? What would you recommend for like a budget but good starter equipment? No, you you can't beat a, an ugly stick. The the ugly stick tigers. They, they're, they're some really good rods. You can get in that cheap stuff, the sturdy sticks. They're not going to break. They're plenty strong. But uh, the, an ugly stick Tiger is a really good rod. Um, the Abu Garcia reels are still pretty good in that 7,000 range. They've got enough drag and line capacity and all of that. And just just to stop for reference, that you're talking about the uh, the size of the reels. Yeah. It's not the cost of the reels. No, so. no, it's the, the Abu Garcia 7,000s. They're, what, a $100, $120 reel. Um, you can find these things used on eBay, uh, Craigslist, LetGo, the Facebook Marketplace. You can pick up really good flathead rod reels for twenty bucks if you, if you're that route, like a a pen two o nine or a pen three o nine. The nice new ones, pen squalls and pen fathoms, are really good, strong reels. They'll last you for years, and as well as that ugly sticks. So you could get into a great setup for under a hundred bucks real easily. And then thinking about the reels too, um, I've seen a couple of guys. I think uh, there are a couple of areas. I forget what the YouTube channel was. But these guys were flat fishing. I, I noticed they were using like trolling reels with line counters. Mm-hmm. Have you ever messed around with those kind of reels before? Um, I've had a couple with the line counters on them. And what I found on those things is when you rear back and cast them, they tend to break. Yeah, that's kind of what my was going to be my next question because we use a lot of uh, like my favorite cheap you know kind of trolling reel what is what i call the line counters you know it was like an okuma magna pro mm-hmm. and uh but i never thought that they could take the stress of you know casting and the spool yeah, being ripped out and yeah if you open the bale and let them out when you're trolling with them and you let the line out slowly yeah they they work really good they're reliable they'll run forever um but when you rear back and cast them i think the speed of that cast is what kind of spins those little gears too hard right but, so, was it, that a fish that just jumped me that noise? It could be our little beaver that's swimming around here. Oh. If I only had that one ear and we were talking at the time, it almost sounded like a like a horse over there. Like a horse blowing. Yeah, there's been some good fish jumping in here. And we got that little muskrat or beaver, whatever the hell it is, swimming around. Yeah, I'm, after you said that, I think it was a beaver. Cause I never saw the tail line. I think it was... I think it was a beaver. I couldn't see the tail. I kind of a mushrat would have. Yeah, we'll see. He'll he'll be around here more. I bet. <laughs> we just sit here and let him do his business and not scare him. Yeah, yeah. right as the coyotes started, they just lit off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we get into all the wildlife out here. Yep, everybody's out to play. Well, guys, um, I can't think if we missed, we forgot to talk about anything, or? So we got the rods, the reels, the bait, the rig. Do you use any other rigs besides your, your three-weight rig? With the- um, yeah, I use, when I fish in the river, um, you figure when you're fishing, you've got downstream current and upstream current. Um, I'll run these three-way rigs in front of me or upstream and I run a rig called a Santee Cooper it's if you look up Santee Cooper it'll show you it's a very simple um, how it works is the sinker is on your main line and then you have about a two-foot leader to your bobber and about a one-foot leader to your hook so it's all one line but I, I use those downstream because the current will keep it pushed and not tangle it up so is the bobber at the end of the line? Uh, uh, the hooks at the end. Okay. The oh, bobber, we got a neighbor. And the, bobber's between the, the hook and the sinker. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it works really well. But if you fish them upstream, 
the current pushes that bobber back over your line and you get some serious tangle ups. All good to keep in mind. So I'll run that Santee with downstream current and then I'll I run these three ways, but pretty much I run these three ways on everything. Yeah, they seem to be really effective, mate. Especially, I like that, mm -hmm. that two hook rig. I think that's something that I really want to mess with uh, fishing later on this season. Oh, and something else is the bait basket. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. You'll see a lot of people keep their bait in a wire mesh basket, and that wire mesh just kills your fish. Um, I go online through a company called Memphis Net and Twine, and you can order that basket. It's a soft netting, so it doesn't tear your bait fish up. And it floats. It's got a big opening on it. Um, that thing's that particular one's probably ten years old. And then you sent me a video the other night. Is that the same basket? Yeah. You were? Yep. That's the same one we threw the flatheads in that night. Okay. So. Yeah. It looks like we got some neighbors coming. Yeah. I can hear some music playing. Well, they're right there. I can see the headlights. So I guess with that, it's probably a good spot to run off. So we'll figure <laughs> out who these folks are, and yeah, we'll try to catch a few fish tonight. But Critter, I can't thank you enough for coming on, and Brent, I guess, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good seeing you guys. Good to see you too. So yes, hopefully sir. we catch a few more fish before. Get one. Yeah. yeah. Get you one. If Jesse goes for a rod a third time, I'm gonna push him in the lake. Just chain me to the truck. <laughs> Yeah. They must have just caught the reflection off our trucks because they're backing up now. I'm assuming they cut the... Because my truck's pulled a little further out. They yeah. caught the reflection off my bumper. This is our spot. Right? Dang it. Yeah, we may know them. We may not. We'll see. <laughs> well, I guess they are giving us a little bit more time. We can keep talking, but I think... We have hit just about everything. Yeah. Um, Keep your bait good and lively. Um, it's like you read my mind. I was just going to ask you if you had any closing thoughts. <laughs> you know, keep good bait on there and uh, fish structure. Fish structure. Yep, find the structure and fish that structure if you can. should be a tagline for a fishing company. Just fish the structure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How about you, Brian? You got any closing thoughts before we wrap this thing up? If I had any advice, I would have given it, but I still haven't caught a flathead, so yeah. don't listen to anything I say. I think the lesson that you should give is just keep at it. Just, just keep yep. Because for the time that you've been putting into this, with I don't think you've, I don't think it's been no success. You just haven't caught a fish. You know, there's a difference there. That's yeah. Really, how I judge success though, is by <laughs> if I caught one. Right. Well, is it a bad hunt if you don't shoot something? No. Then why is it a bad fishing trip if you don't catch nothing? It's bad killing versus bad hunting. Right. <laughs> but you know, with these with these big fish, um, stay after them. And like I was telling you earlier, last year uh, I was sitting around with two of the guys I fish with a lot, or three of them: John Osborne, Sean Crutchfield, Brandon White. Yep. Um, between the four of us fishing out of my boat. We had 35 flatheads over 50 pounds come across the deck of my boat last year in 2020. That's awesome. Uh, no. So there are big fish there. You'll hear a lot of people that have never caught one that big. And uh, all I can say is keep after it and, and document, remember where you catch them and what you were doing. And, and it's a repetitive thing. I know we're wrapping this up, but I do have one more question I want to ask on that note. Is do you keep notes? Do you have like a notebook that you? <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a spiral binder that my dad started, and uh, we started it on Roosevelt Lake because the lake level would vary a lot year to year, and it's got dates, times, weather, and the elevation of the lake. So with that, I can I can pretty much I've expanded it onto Pleasant and Bartlett Lake. And uh, I document when I start fishing the Havasu later this year, I will start keeping my notes on Havasu. Very cool. Cause that's something else that it seems like it's that's one that you hear no matter what you're, you're chasing. doesn't matter if you know, it's flyheads or waterfowl or elk. Mm -hmm. Everybody that it seems like the guys that have it figured out take notes. Yeah, I doc I document what I'm doing, what time of year it is, and water temperatures. 
and then I know if I have, if I've been hunting for a couple months and I haven't been able to hit the lake, I can look at my notes and go, you know what? Five years ago, the lake was at this level. The weather was like this, and I can go to a spot and generally catch fish. Yeah, that's pretty awesome to have that kind of info you can just fall back on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the experience is something you just can't beat. No, no. I'd rather be knowledgeable than... Well, I guess I just need to have another beer or something because I, I can't even finish that sentence right now. <laughs> but, but with that, Critter, I can't thank you enough for coming on and agreeing to do this and taking us fishing. And I know I've, I'm having a ball, and uh, Brent's very fixated on that rod right now, but I think he's having fun too. Yeah, he's concentrating hard. <laughs> We're going to paddle it back over to the hole here in a minute. All right. Yeah, let's get after that because I think Brent's cold and needs to move. <laughs> All right, guys. So... Uh, with that, we're going to wrap up and catch you all next time. Adios, Hey, I hope everybody really enjoyed this episode of Arizona in the Field. I know Brent and I had a ton of fun sitting down and talking with Critter, doing a little bit of fishing with him, and we're definitely looking forward to our next visits with him. Hopefully, as the season warms up a bit, or as the temperatures warm up a bit later on in the flathead season. So, Make sure, if you enjoyed this episode, can you please go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Check us out on social media. Uh, right now, we're really on Instagram at the Arizona underscore a field underscore podcast. That's Arizona Field Podcast, just with the spaces in it. Uh, right now, that's our only real platform. Um, if you want to check out, if you prefer, like, Facebook, um, you can hit me up on my personal page, just Jesse Warner. Look for the, the guy sitting on the horse. Or at uh, Jess Warner AZ for my other uh, Instagram page, which um, is tagged right there on the Arizona Field uh, bio. So the plan is down the line, we're going to be branching out into other platforms this summer, just to make sure we're bringing you all the great content we can from around Arizona. Uh, this is going to include some YouTubes uh, in order to get some videos and get you guys some visual content and really be able to show you what we're doing around Arizona. Also, make sure you're going to check us out next week. We're going, to have, we're going to have a fantastic conversation. We're sitting down with Josh Kirchner of Dialed In Hunter, and we're going to be talking about the early bear season here in State 48. Um, Dialed In Hunter, Josh, he's a great dude. He's a bow hunting fanatic, and his thing is bears. So this is going to be a great conversation. I really hope you guys tune in because I'm really looking forward to having this talk with Josh. But uh, that's going to wrap it up wrap it up for us today so as always thank you for listening and we'll see you next time a field in arizona